You know, this is an incredibly important weekend, truly a holy weekend, today being Good Friday, and, and I pray that you will have a blessed holiday weekend, that you will enjoy your family today, will enjoy the picnic as a church family tomorrow, and on Sunday morning, if you're able to make it at 6 a.m., we would welcome you to worship with us. I'm very excited about what God is going to do this weekend. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, on Good Friday, on this Easter weekend, living in Abu Dhabi, as my fellow elder Earl, as, as he was praying on our behalf, he said that this is an unusual, strange place that we live in. And I believe that he's exactly right. Abu Dhabi is a little strange for me, especially on holidays. You know, when, when it comes to those special holidays, you know, because we all come from different backgrounds, or we're all from many different places from all over the globe, and we're all here together, and God has assembled us, and I'm so blessed to be here, but if we're really honest, we all bring some unique ways of celebrating holidays and living in this unique place. Sometimes it's, it's not quite the same as it is in your home country, and I, I doubt it's just me, and so I'll give you an example. Christmas, just a few months ago, for a typical American, on Christmas dinner, you eat Turkey. I mean, Christmas and Thanksgiving, both of those are marked by you get your family, your closest friends around, and you have a big bird, but specifically a turkey. So we, we did it at Thanksgiving, a lot of people, good time, 30 people in our home. We said, all right, we're going to have a nice, quiet Christmas, just the four of us in our family. And we have to eat turkey because that's what Americans do at Christmas. So only one place I've seen sells it was Finney's. And so we're, we're there trying to buy the bird. And they're all huge. Like there's these big turkeys, which are great for a big gathering. But when you only have four people, you thought, how are you going to have a big turkey? For, because they don't have small ones. There was no other options. And so my lovely wife says, no problem. We'll have duck. And so she buys a duck for us to have for Christmas dinner. And I thought, a duck. It's not very American to have a duck at uh, Christmas, but whatever. So we'll, we'll, we'll go with it. So Christmas dinner, she cooks a duck, and it's not my favorite at all. But we ate it, and it was good. It was fine. You know, not any tradition, I hope, but whatever. So fast forward to a couple of weeks ago, I now discovered a new celebratory dish called hot cross buns. I never heard of a hot cross buns. Never heard of it. Believe it. Apparently, I'm learning that in the UK and in New Zealand and Australia and these, these other unusual parts of the world that this thing called hot cross buns is popular. Now, fellow Americans, is it just me or have you not heard of hot cross buns? Look, okay, it's not just me. So it's just, I never, and yesterday I saw, and Lulu was like, oh, look, hot cross buns. Like, I saw it for sale. I almost bought it, but I was like, nah, I'm American. So, <laughs> so, so we're, we're eating these hot cross buns because that's what you do in other parts of the world around Easter. And so my children, having their first taste of hot cross buns, they say, oh, so this is, this is what you eat to celebrate Easter. And I said, yes, yeah, I, I guess so. That's what they do. And then my children, who are here this morning with this line in class, I'll embarrass them. My children quickly say, oh, it's kind of like eating duck for Americans at Christmas. <laughs> and I, I was like, what's happening to my children living in Abu Dhabi? He has 
totally changed how we approach even things like holidays. And so it's unique when you approach a Friday morning, which is Good Friday, a holy day, a very important day, where we, we come together as a faith family and we celebrate and we remember that Jesus died on the cross, that almost 2,000 years ago, on Passover weekend, like it is today for our Jewish friends, Jesus was crucified on Friday. And people all over the globe come together on Good Friday, and they worship Jesus and remember his crucifixion. But you see, here's the thing. They also come back on Sunday morning, which is the normal church gathering, and they worship the resurrection. And we will do that as well. But being realistic, Abu Dhabi is a little bit weird because Sunday is a work day. And so many of you, quite honestly, won't be able to make it due to your obligations. It's just not going to be possible for many of you to go at 6 in the morning on a work day to worship with the faith family on Easter. And so it creates some complexities. So this has to be a Good Friday celebration. But it also has to be an Easter celebration. And so on this Friday morning, we have to remember that, yes, Christ was crucified on a Friday 2,000 years ago. But we must not forget that he also resurrected on that Sunday. And so because of that, this morning, we're going to remember and talk about and read passages that talk about, yes, his death and burial, but we must not forget his resurrection. We must not forget on Good Friday that he indeed resurrected. And so what indeed is good about Good Friday? Well, why do we even call it Good Friday? Now, if you come from a church background, wherever country you're from, I'm sure if you come from that kind of background that you believe that Jesus died, and I'm sure you would say he died for your sins, and you'd probably even believe, yes, and he was resurrected on Sunday morning on that first Easter so many of us, if not all of us, will believe that. But the question isn't do you believe that. The question is what does it matter? What are the implications? There's no things that we can believe, but we don't stop to think of, well, how does it impact my life today as a mother, as a wife, as a husband, as a worker, as all the different roles that you have as, as a son, as a daughter, as a student? This makes a difference. This should change everything. But the question is, how and why? Well, this morning we're going to find out by asking the question, what is so good about Good Friday? And if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke 23, in the Gospel of Luke. And as you're turning there, let's not forget that Jesus is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the second member of the Holy Trinity, he is eternal. He became a human being at the first Christmas. He is the only human being to live a perfect, holy, blameless life. And he did so as a human because he is fully God as well. And as a human, what he did is he loved and he healed. And he lived sacrificing himself even before he was Sacrifice on the cross, he lived a life of self-sacrifice, loving others. And yet, the establishment, the authorities, the religious leading hypocrites 
had this envy that burned deep in their soul. Then they had this razor-sharp hatred that cut them to the heart. And they had this really malicious pride that was exposed by the humility of Jesus. And so you see pride and envy and hatred, all this evil coming from the religious, hypocritical leaders that did not love God. It was about their own pride. And they could not stand Jesus. And they wanted to see him dead. And indeed, they did convince the Roman officials to have him crucified. Being on trial in some ridiculous kangaroo court that even violated God's own instructions on how to even have a court. It was a joke. Yet Jesus humbly endured it all. And yes, he was crucified. And let's read about that again in Luke 23, verses 32 through 34. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And they came to the place which is called the skull. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. You see him being crucified, and what's remarkable to me is the simplicity in which the scripture describes the crucifixion. It just says, and they crucified him. No gory details were needed because every first century reader knew exactly what it was because they had seen it repeatedly. So for us, 2,000 years later, a bit removed from that, you read that, but stop and think of the implications of that phrase, and they crucified him. And then you hear Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. You see this remarkable, supernatural forgiveness and love, only possible because he's indeed the Son of God. And you read in the same chapter, jump down to verse 44, as you read in the story. And it was now the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. By the way, that's middle of the day. This is not late at night. Understand this. Ninth hour is 3 p.m. So it says it was sixth hour and there was darkness. Verse 45. And while the sun's light fa failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And so at mere 3 p.m., the sun grew dark. The temple veil was torn in two, and Jesus gave up his spirit. Now, now we know how the story ends. So we've read this, we've heard this. But try your best to picture how his followers felt those that loved him, those that lived with him, those that saw how he was sinless and blameless, and they see Jesus nailed to the cross, and they see him dying. Can you imagine what was going through the heads of all of those that were in hiding but watching this? Can't you picture John, who we read earlier in his accounts, in the Gospel of John, John who was standing there with, with Jesus' mother Mary watching Jesus drowning in his own blood, and can't you imagine what they were thinking? They were thinking, come on, Jesus. Come on. Come down. 
You can do it. Come on, you can't die. You're the Messiah. You've got to come down from there. Show yourself that you've come from the Father. Show the power that we know you have. Just come down. Come on, Jesus. I guarantee you that that's what they were praying and in their minds crying out, saying, come on, you can't die. And when Jesus died, their hopes died with him. Because they believed that he came from God. They saw the miracles. They knew. They knew that. They saw him calm the storm. They saw his power. And yet, as a human, he died. And I guarantee you they were convinced. It's over. We thought. We thought Jesus could have done it. But he died. And so now you have the satanic, invisible realm celebrating thinking, yes, this is a good Friday because Jesus is dead. And now Satan is celebrating that the kingdom belongs to him. And the opposition, the Son of God, has been killed. He's no longer a threat. And so I can assure you that the demons were celebrating, throwing a huge party in the invisible realm because now the kingdom, the world would remain in darkness because Jesus was dead. So they You see, but here's the problem. The demons didn't realize, Satan didn't understand that Sunday was coming. You see, they were focused on Good Friday, and in their minds it was good because Jesus was dead, and so they thought that they had defeated God's plan, that they had somehow were able to thwart God's purposes of redemption because Jesus was dead, but they didn't know that Sunday was coming. The resurrection was was coming. Satan's defeat was coming. Our freedom was about to be purchased. Sin itself was about to be defeated. Death was about to be defeated. Jesus was not going to stay in the grave. They thought he would. Everyone there, including the demons, believed that God's plan was now in shambles and defeat was upon them, but Sunday was coming. And so truly, what is good about Good Friday? Sunday is coming. The resurrection is coming. But let me give you specifically, let me read to you out of Luke 24, the first few verses, the first six. And let's read about Sunday morning. Let's read about the resurrection. It says, but on the first day of the week, on Sunday, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. He is not dead. He's not here. Why are you looking for him among the dead? This changes everything. This absolutely is the most significant event in all of human history. When these angels said, he's not here. He's not dead. Satan didn't win. You're not condemned now. This changes 
everything. But let me explain to you how specifically, what's so good about his death and resurrection. Let's jump, same chapter, down to verse 36, because we don't have time to read all of it, because then we'll miss lunch. We don't want that on Good Friday. Luke 24, read verse 36. And they were talking about these things. These are the disciples. And Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. He appears to them. He's been resurrected, and they're talking. All right, there's these women, and I don't know, you know, and there's these guys that were walking to Emmaus, and, they, and there's these allegations, all of this talk that he's alive. And then he appears to them. As, as they're discussing it, he appears to them. And he says to them, peace to you. So there are four specific blessings that we're going to see in this paragraph, in this section here in Luke 24, that make Friday so good, that make the Easter event so amazing. Blessings that we have that impact and change our whole lives. The first one is we have rest. Rest. That is what's so good about Good Friday and, of course, Sunday morning, Easter morning. Number one, you have rest. Jesus says, peace to you. In the original language, you know what that word was? Shalom. He said, shalom to them, which translated as peace to you. Well, why, why is that greeting so significant? It wasn't just a casual greeting. This matters. The word shalom means peace. It means completeness. Being at peace with God. It means the state of all things being in harmony with God's holiness. God is holy, and shalom means that we're at peace, that there's no strife with God who is holy. And so it's the state of peace. See, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, before there was sin, they had shalom. They had peace with each other. They had peace with God. And so they're experiencing basically heaven, shalom. But we look around our world and we don't see shalom. Our world is not at peace. Our world is not paradise. This is not heaven. Our world is corrupted. It's the fall. We've talked about that in, in, the, in this last preaching series. And so because of sin, we now have anxiety. And we now have things like stress. And some of you right here this morning, I know you're here to worship Jesus I know you love him, but if you're honest with yourself, you're burdened. I guarantee you, room this, even just this big, in this small of a gathering, there are many of you that your hearts are really heavy, and you're physically tired. You're emotionally exhausted. Maybe you're even spiritually worn out. You just feel, man, I just need rest. And Jesus' resurrection offers you He offers you shalom. Your souls need not be burdened. You're wondering, okay, how? How, how exactly does Jesus' death and then resurrection offer me rest for my soul that just feels so weary? We just read a second ago that Jesus gave up his spirit. He willingly, he chose to give up his spirit. It wasn't taken from him. Even in his death, who is in complete control? Even when he's dying, Jesus is in complete control of all the circumstances. 
There is nothing happening to Jesus. He is controlling all the events of humanity, and that includes your life, and that includes the way he died for our forgiveness. He was in complete control. There is never one second of any day where Jesus is not in complete control. Even as he's dying, he shows that he is sovereign, and he is kicking Satan in the teeth. He's in complete control. That gives you the ability to rest in him. You can rest in him. You see, what we try to do is control and manipulate circumstances. And there are things that, honestly, we can't control. It's out of our hands. But we want to control and manipulate and manage situations and people. And the best thing that we can do is say, Jesus, you died in my place. You are in control, and I'm going to rest in you. I trust you. If he could overcome sin and death itself, then he can overcome your burdens. He can overcome whatever it is that's ailing you today. He's able, and his resurrection proves that he is able. He is the Son of God who died and was resurrected powerfully in complete control. So the question is, as we talk about his resurrection offering us rest, is are we submitting to him? Are we yielding to him? Or are we trying to control things and saying, you know what, Jesus, I give up. You know more. I trust your wisdom and your sovereignty. His resurrection gives, number one, rest. Number two, gives us restoration in verses 37 through 43. Same, same story here. Next verses. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. This is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate before them. First, his resurrection gives us rest. Second, it gives us restoration. You see, Jesus was resurrected physically. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't just some spirit that was disembodied. He had a physical body with the same scars upon his hands and his feet. He was a human being, the same human being he was before, but this time, this time, a new human being in the sense that he would never die again. But it's very important that we see here that the resurrection is physical, that it's a bodily resurrection of Jesus. And here's why this matters for you and me, because we're going to die someday. I know we don't like thinking about that, but we're all going to face death. And heaven is not just some ethereal spirit, ghost-like, floating on the clouds experience like you see on TV. That's not what it is. Jesus was physically resurrected. God created the physical world, and he said it's very good, yes, we betrayed him and allowed corruption to come in, but God never changed his mind. 
His world is good, and He wants to restore it, and He has a plan to restore it. And the restoration of everything is happening through the death and resurrection of Jesus physically, pointing to the restoration of your body physically one day, and this world being restored physically one day. The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. If you've ever had the pain of burying someone that you love, my heart goes out to you. I've never in my life had to bury anyone that is very close to me. I've lost grandparents and cousins, people like that, but never someone really close to me. But I will. The more gray that I get and the more years I live on this earth, the more people I'm going to see that I'm going to have to bury. And if you're here today and if you're struggling with the reality that a loved one of yours has passed away, this reality gives you hope because all of those that believe in Jesus will live for eternity in a physical new heavens and new earth. That's what awaits us. You will see your loved one again. We will be resurrected. God is going to bring back shalom. He's going to bring peace back to his earth, go back into the Garden of Eden. Now, if you follow the news, then you've heard that the president of, of Venezuela, Hugo Chavez, died recently, not long, just a few weeks ago. And if you followed anything on this international news scale, then you know that the authorities in Venezuela have said that Hugo Chavez will, will remain on display. And so they have embalmed Hugo Chavez's body, and he's currently in a glass box. And there's lines of people that are lined up to see Hugo's now dead, embalmed, to me, wax-like, but whatever, body, his actual body. They're not going to bury him. So people can go and see and gaze at this amazing leader, Hugo Chavez. Now, just so you know, the Venezuelans, that wasn't even their idea. They got the idea from the Russians. Because if you go to the Red Square, you can go there today. Uh, no, no photography is allowed, but you can go to Russia you can go to the Red Square, you can go into the mausoleum, and you can walk past Vladimir Lenin. You can go there. And guess what you can see? This almost 100-year, like 70-plus-year-old dead guy in a glass box. And Russians to this day line up to go and look at Lenin's body. But it's not just him. If, if you go to Vietnam, you can go see the dead body of Ho Chi Minh. He's also in a glass box. And people line up to go see his body and see this amazing leader and how he supposedly led the Vietnamese people. And so there are many, and there's others. This is just a handful, just so you're aware, that there are many people that go and revere the body that's on display in the glass case. But you can also go to this day to Jerusalem and go right outside the city, and you can go to a garden tomb, and you can walk in, and you will not find the body of a political leader in a glass box because that tomb is empty. That tomb is empty. There's no leader in there to see. He's not dead. That's the difference between Jesus and every other supposed political leader. Jesus 
died for our sins, but he did not stay dead. He resurrected because God has a plan to restore the cosmos. And it's through his Messiah who's alive. And it, it gives us hope that after we die, we too will be resurrected to a new restored body, to a new restored earth, the new heavens, the new earth. That's what awaits us. A restored, eternal, better Eden. You know what the cross is? The cross is a battering ram. I want you to picture a wall, a major wall that separates us as sinful, condemned humans, evil, selfish, a wall that separates us from a loving and holy God. And there's this major wall. And God used the cross as a battering ram to obliterate, to destroy that wall and allow us to get through. And guess what's on the other side? Eden. Heaven. What awaits you after death? Eden. Eternal Eden. Is it really a wonder that the empty tomb opened to a garden? Is it really a wonder? Because that's the plan. You too will face your tomb, but on the other end, you will walk into a garden, just like Jesus did. But this garden that you'll walk into is forever. Then you are restored with you having a fully restored body. This gives us hope to face whatever is bothering you, whatever is afflicting you today. We do have rest, and we do have restoration now and waiting for us forever. Third blessing is we have redemption. We have redemption, verses 44 through 46. And then he said to them, these are my words, and I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. See, Jesus was teaching, opening their minds, looking at the Old Testament, the prophets pointing to him, opening their minds to see the necessity for a sacrifice that God can't just forgive you unless there's been a payment for your sin. See, because God is holy. And God is just, and he will not just ignore your sin. There must be a payment. And so he is saying that there was a necessity that everything in the Old Testament was pointing to fulfilled in the person of Jesus. He paid the penalty. He endured God's wrath while on the cross. That's why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, all of our sins, all of God's holy wrath, all of our judgment was poured into the person of Jesus. And he was enduring not only the physical pain of the crucifixion, but even worse, the pain of being condemned and separated from God. Why? Because you wanted to see God glorified by having a holy, redeemed people who could be forgiven, who would then say, Jesus is Lord. And when he resurrected, when he came to live on that Easter morning, he purchased our redemption. He bought it with his own blood. He paid the redemption price. See, but our problem is so deep 
it's so easy for us to say, oh, well, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm a good person. But the problem is us, and the problem is our, our sin runs so deep. It's kind of like if you heard that story of that man that was stranded on an island all by himself for a long time. And then finally, rescue came. And, and the rescuers found this man alone for years on an island. And there were three little buildings, like th- th- three little structures. And they asked him, well, what are these structures? Oh, the first is my house. The second one is my church. And they said, well, what's the third one? Oh, that's the church I used to go to. The problem is us. We can so easily blame others for our problems, our sin. But the reality is the problem is much deeper. And we can't fix ourselves. That's why Jesus said that there was the necessity. He says the Christ must. I had to die to fulfill God's word, his promises, and to pay the price. See, Good Friday is so amazing because it leads to Easter where he died. But he didn't just die. He rose powerfully, showing that he is God, which is why when he was hanging on the cross and he cried out, as I read earlier in the scripture reading, Jesus cried out, it is finished. If you were from this part where he would have said, halas, he's finished, it's complete. Why would Jesus say, it is finished? What did he complete? What is finished? Your redemption. The plan for God to display his glory by redeeming men and women from all over the globe who are transformed from the inside, not self-help, but changed from the inside for his glory. The plan, the possibility for us to be forgiven was finished. It was complete. And so as a human... He alone was qualified to die in the place of other humans. But as fully God, he resurrected powerfully, showing that he is able and he will never die again. Lastly, as we close and as we head into communion, the resurrection of Jesus gives us a responsibility. So yes, we have rest, absolutely. Very important. And yes, we are reconciled. And yes, we'll be restored. But we also have a responsibility because of the gospel. Let's read verses 47 through 49. Same chapter. He says, And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you. But say in the city, until you are clothed with power from on high. He says that repentance and forgiveness should be preached where? All nations. And we're going to receive power to accomplish that. See, Jesus didn't come just to save you and your family and your closest friends. It's much bigger than you, much bigger than me. It is about him saving people from every tribe and nation. It's about the globe. It's so much bigger than us. And that's why I love Abu Dhabi, because the globe, the nations have come here. I love it. And God has given us this responsibility, this commission. He's given us the mission to go and make disciples of all nations. And so God's goal God's desire is to display his beautiful, immense glory to all of his created order. And he did it through Christ. He did it through the death 
burial, and powerful resurrection of Jesus. But see, here's the thing. Our salvation is a means, not an end. We're reconciled to reconcile. This is critical. You have been reconciled to God in order to help reconcile others also to God. So your salvation is not an end. Your salvation is a means to see other people also believe. And so when you receive Christ, you're part of the universal church. There are people all over the globe that say Jesus is Lord. And those people, even though you've not met them yet, are your brothers and sisters. But being part of God's people is not just universal. It's also local. And so here in this local church, Evangelical Church of Off-Island, this church, ECC Off-Island, I have committed myself in a covenant with everyone else in here. And so we have covenant membership. It means that I'm committed to you. And if you have become a, a member of this faith family, then you have committed it through covenant with everyone else as part of this faith family. We belong to each other. We're a part of each other. It's not just coming to church on Friday morning. It's much bigger than that. It's about having a covenant where we are part of each other. We say, this is my family. And when families get crossways, what do they do? They talk it out. They come to an agreement. They don't just walk away from each other. We're a family. And so that's why we have covenant membership because we belong to each other. It's about showing our commitment to Jesus and to his people. Now, are we flawed? Yes, beginning with me. Every one of us is flawed. So sometimes we distort God's glory, but our goal is to display it. We do it by loving each other, by having harmony. See, when we love each other, you know what happens? Others notice, and it gives us the witness that we need to go accomplish the mission. When we are broken, when we're not getting along, when there's division, when, when we're racist towards each other, when we, when we have our problems and our hang-ups, when we don't love how Jesus is telling us to love each other, we have a problem. We have a responsibility to go and make disciples. And so when we do this together, we'll grow more than we can alone. We'll have more joy than we can alone. We'll live life to the fullest in a way that we can't alone. He's, he's transforming us as a community. Let's read the last few verses and finish this chapter. Verses 50 through 53. It says, Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. They were so transformed by seeing Jesus resurrected, understanding his responsibility to go and make disciples as they were a people together, that the only thing that they could experience was great joy. That's what they had. They went with great joy and continued to worship. You see, on this Good Friday, it's critical that we understand what this means. It means that if you're here this morning and if you have never realized your need for a Savior, then you're living a life that will never have joy to its fullest. You might find some satisfaction in some fleeting pleasures that this world offers you, 
but you can't have true joy from the inside out if you don't have Jesus. The joy that we read about here is only possible if you're resting in him, if you respond to him. If you don't believe this, then basically you don't have someone that knows you completely yet accepts you unconditionally. You don't have someone to guide you through the storms of life when life can be disappointing and life can be hard and knocks you down. You don't have the good shepherd to guide you. You don't have the advocate who's standing in the cosmic courtroom saying, forgiven. You don't have an advocate. You don't have someone that has died on the cross and paid the penalty for your sins. You don't have that. You don't have someone to give you the strength that you need to just get up in the day. Sometimes it's hard. And sometimes life isn't fun. But you won't have the strength and the courage to face the day if you don't have Jesus. You, don't, you won't have rest or reconciliation or restoration and this responsibility, which is the greatest privilege we could ever have, doesn't belong to you. But on the other hand, if this is the first time that you've heard this and you truly believe that Jesus died in your place, you can respond to him with complete trust, with repentance, turn away from that sin and trust in him alone, and he will transform you from the inside out. And those of us that have already submitted to the king, we have the joy of knowing that whatever afflictions come our way, it doesn't really matter because you know what? One day he's going to return, whether he comes first or whether we die first, and we'll be with him forever. That's the point of Easter. That's why we're here as a church. And it's my privilege to do life with each of you. I'm going to ask you to just kind of bow your heads for a moment. I want to pray for you. In just a couple of minutes, we're going to observe communion. But first, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for our faith family and for anyone in here that maybe is struggling with belief, just not sure where you're at spiritually on your journey. Father, this beautiful, good Friday morning, we are truly humbled that you would hear from us. We are humbled that you would make a way for us to be forgiven. We are humbled that you would send your son, who is blameless, to take upon our blame. And then you freely offer us forgiveness that we don't deserve, could never earn. We thank you for our eternal hope that we have, the hope of our resurrection because of your son's resurrection. Father, I pray for anyone right now in this room that is grappling with this, who is unsure if they believe. I pray that you would reveal yourself to him or her right now and that they would repent from their sins and turn to you in complete trust. I pray, Father, that you would encourage the rest of us with your word that we'll be more faithful to pursue you in this life that you've given to us with this privilege of knowing you and making you known. Thank you, Father, for the resurrection. Thank you for our redemption. Thank you for Jesus. And we pray for his sake, for his glory, and through his name. Amen. I'm going to ask our men who are going to distribute the elements, please come to the